Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. And welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. I did it again. Oh, hello. I said you first and me second because <laughs> I'm so kind. Coming up on today's show, Novak Djokovic and those cheating rumours. Is this the beginning of a MasterChef crumble? <clears throat> oh. See? And <laughs> I actually didn't even intend for it to sound nice like that. One. Good. And how Diet Prada almost single-handedly took down two fashion photographers this week. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a really great week. My sister finally announced that she is pregnant to all of her friends and all of our extended family. I have known since week five and I was desperate for her to tell everyone because I just, I wanted to share the news and I'm so excited and I've never been an auntie before. I'm going to be an auntie and I'm just so excited. Were you good at holding that secret? I was actually great. I'm typically the world's worst secret keeper. Michelle, I reckon you (laughs) called me within 15 minutes. Don't tell her this. This is a... <laughs> we actually lied to her. We said that you, I accidentally found out because I heard her on loudspeaker. But you literally texted me being like, I've had the best day ever, but I can't tell you why. And you guessed it. You so said, I didn't tell you. happy family news. And I said, wink three times if Claire's pregnant. So you would have sent me like three winky emojis. Claire's going to fucking kill me. Anyway, you're the only person I told because you are like kind of removed from my family. Oh Not my that they God. Don't. They like you. Don't get me wrong. They like you, but you came along after like high school and all that Here kind of stuff. Here am I having like an existential crisis. Well, you're like my very adult friend who is kind of like, you're not invited to the engagement. You weren't actually, invited to the engagement I was. Party. You, know, you said I wasn't allowed to come. Claire said on the phone, Zara, do you want to come to the engagement party? And Michelle and I were like, look, we might try not to socialise with each other all the time. So I yeah. let you have the engagement party to yourself. Anyway, very exciting. Congratulations to Claire. Yeah, they did it in a really nice way. They um, were actually, it's their engagement and housewarming party and they got everyone in front of them and they announced that they were pregnant in front of everyone. They said there was a third thing to celebrate, which was the baby. And I'm so excited and I can't wait to be a mum. And- <laughs> oh my God. Like that was, that was such a Freudian slip. Claire, she's fucking taking this baby. This actually captures everything how your sister is pregnant and you think it's yours <laughs> <laughs> going to be an auntie. 
<laughs> I definitely don't want to be a mom. I don't want to be a mom for like five years. Can't wait to be an auntie. <laughs> Mitch, if you're listening. Oh my God, no, he'd freak out. I, um, I've been looking on her pregnancy app a lot, a lot <laughs> and looking at what size the baby is every single week and what it looks like. Anyway, I do have a recommendation and it's contraception number one. <laughs> I've got two recommendations aside from contraception. I do want to recommend the MCO, which I think is the new name for Model Co. They've like collapsed it together. MCO Instant Brows Pencil in Light Medium. You can pick this pretty up from niche. like... Yeah, I know. Pick it up from Coles or Woolworths, I'm pretty sure. It is one of the best eyebrow pencils I've ever used. It's super cheap. I think it was only like maybe $10, $15. And it is brilliant, particularly if you have blonde hair like me and you need a really natural, beautiful shade. This product is one of my favorite beauty products that I've tried in a really, really long time. And I highly recommend that you go pick one up. I actually probably will, or I'll just steal yours. It'd be the perfect shade yeah. for you. It would, you would really, really love it. My second thing is another thing for you guys to go spend your money on. I apologize. <laughs> if you have any presents coming up, for example, for an engagement party or housewarming, I really recommend you go check out Grotty Lottie you or Grotty Lottie on Instagram. She's a fantastic Australian artist and she does prints of all of her yeah. work. And a lot of them are native wildlife, birds, native Australian flowers, and they are bloody beautiful. The prices are quite affordable if you want to go for something smaller and it makes for just the best present. I've gotten a few presents now. I gave it to Claire for her engagement and I just, it fills me with joy to give people prints and artwork. It's nice and very like. adult of you. We have one too for our very makeshift office that we have got framed yet but we will show you when we actually get it framed it's a bird in shameless colors it's a bird in shameless colors surely there's a metaphor there yeah i know anyway go check out grody lottie i highly recommend her stuff i think it just like brightens the room the older i get the more obsessed with the artwork i get and when i move out into a house that i want to buy or an apartment i want to buy i want to get grody lottie artwork artwork and dyson's michelle at 25 (laughs) (laughs) what about you um my week was pretty good and not that much to report i must say i didn't consume that much which i should be transparent about it can be hard sometimes there's such an overwhelming amount of stuff to consume and sometimes I feel like when we recommend things all the time people must think that we're just reading watching listening things all the time sometimes we don't it's just occurred to me that when you said that it sounded like I haven't consumed a lot as in I haven't eaten anything oh, this I'm week. eating fine <laughs> I just had a coffee <laughs> which That's I'm not eating which I'm also banned from doing before this podcast but we roll on um one thing I did listen to that I actually very much liked this week which I did recommend in our newsletter was an episode of how to fail with Elizabeth Day have you listened to many of those episodes yes I've probably about half of them I just go through and click on the people that I know and I like yeah Elizabeth Day has very like a very calming voice I feel like it's got a very calming vibe whereas if you feel like you kind of need to center yourself and feel a little settled I often go to that podcast she didn't a second interview with Phoebe Waller-Bridge Waller-Bridge obviously created Fleabag and Killing Eve so has had like the world's biggest year Mm. in the history of the world but they had this really... In the history of the world, I would reckons. say single-handedly Phoebe Waller-Bridge has had the biggest year in the history of the world. Shameless isn't hyperbolic, not at all. <laughs> we don't talk in absolute. <laughs> um, but they did have a really interesting conversation on privilege, which was picked up by a few publications. I don't know if you saw this around. Nope. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was talking about how she has been accused in the past of coming from an incredibly privileged upbringing. And she has. She has like countesses in her history. And I don't even know if that sentence makes sense. Countesses. <laughs> Count I? <laughs> 
<laughs> Cantinis. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, she has been accused of, of coming from privilege and she did acknowledge that. But then she said, my opportunities have probably come from privilege, but the writing and the skill hasn't. And she's like, I take issue with people saying that that's a product of privilege too. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing here. And I thought that was a really interesting idea of like nature versus nurture. Like, do you have your skills because you were put in an environment where they were fostered or are you innately born with skills that would thrive regardless of how you were sort of raised? Yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder if you and I came from different socioeconomic backgrounds, if we would be in the field that we are now. I don't think we I would. I don't think we would either. No, so I fundamentally disagreed with what she said and a lot of other people did too, which is why it sparked a few conversations. But that is a really interesting interview regardless, so I would very much recommend that. As for the episode, shall we roll in? I feel like you're looking at me with something else to say. Before we roll into the episode, I've been wanting to do this for weeks and I think this week is finally the week to do it because you've been an absolute pest on our Instagram account (laughs) and I'm going to squeeze this in before we dive into the episode. (laughs) I want to challenge you to a meme battle. For the next week on the Shameless Podcast Instagram page, I want us to go to war where we get one post each per day. We don't tell the listeners who's posting what. And then at the end of the week, in next week's episode, we can collate all the data and get the median likes and comments from each person throughout the week and determine who is the Instagram queen. You're saying this because I used up the only two jokes I can usually use to get heaps of likes, which I actually did. And it's so annoying because the, the meme I posted on Friday, which was actually spectacularly shit about tea, <laughs> I guilt tripped everyone into liking it. And I don't know how long I can guilt trip people into liking myself. That meme went off mm-hmm. and I know no one believes me because they can't see the like count but it got like a hundred thousand likes oh shut no, the it didn't, fuck but up. it actually did much better than we usually perform do you accept my challenge to a meme battle yeah I accept my challenge but I, all I want to do is tell the listeners that if I keep guilt tripping you please just chop out until the end of the week and then I'll never guilt trip you again you can't you can't absolutely we I can't can. tell the listeners who's posting what it needs to be a legitimate challenge cool. and you either accept or you decline I don't I don't accept the terms <laughs> I accept the challenge <laughs> I'm going to delete any comments that you try and put on being like, this may or may not be mine. <laughs> you have not as much power as you think. Yeah. Okay, interesting. All right, the first segment today, it's actually not our smartest segment in the history of this podcast, <laughs> I'm going to say. Out of all the things we've done that are relatively highbrow, like Adam Goods's documentary last week, this is pretty lowbrow. Don't you know what they say? When everybody else goes high, you go low. I'm pretty sure that was Michelle Obama <laughs> saying. No, this is spectacularly lowbrow, but I don't mind. So Novak Djokovic, there's been a few articles circling since he played in Wimbledon. And last, he won. And he won in the last couple of weeks. And people were pointing out that his wife, Jelena. I think it's Jelena. I want to pronounce it Helena, but it's not Helena because it's never, with a J. We want to be so much more exotic. <laughs> Than we are. Um, Jelena Djokovic wasn't there. And off the back of a couple of years of rumors swelling about their marriage, things started to really heat up, dare I say. Yeah, exactly. And for her to not be at the Grand Slam finale. Finale? Final. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> the curtain-raising finale. <laughs> I can't wait to be a mum. <laughs> oh, my God. This is a train wreck. Okay. We're nine minutes in and we really need to pull it together. For her to not be at the final against yeah. Roger Federer was pretty big. You would think that a player's wife would most likely be there and she has been there to every other Grand Slam final in his career. So this stood out. And the reason it stood out, Zara, and what I really want to look at now is the mechanics of this rumour and how it has spread yeah. over the last two years. Because this has been unravelling in slow motion since 2017 because there was a live 
tennis cross where commentators were discussing things back and forth. And one of the topics in 2017 was Novak Djokovic's slump in form and how he wasn't winning as much as he should be and he had lost his number one ranking and all these other things coming into play. And commentator and obviously ex-tennis star John McEnroe drew a parallel then between Novak Djokovic and Tiger Woods and said their form slumps were likely for the same reasons. His quote back then was, Woods had the same issues with his wife and then he seemed to go completely off the rails and has never been even close to being the same player. So we're starting to say, wait a minute, is this possible with him, Djokovic? For me, the other really interesting quote was Djokovic had some off-court issues with the family. So it wasn't that I had heard Djokovic has had some off-court issues. It was Djokovic has had these issues Mm. as if it was a fact we would have to accept. Not up for debate. Exactly. And then he said, that's going to throw you if you're distracted, you're not the same player. The thing that gets me with this particularly is John McEnroe has sat in front of a microphone before. Like he is pretty well media trained. And I think when you're commentating and you've commentated for years, things don't slip out as much as you think they would. And nothing to that effect. I don't think you say that really hyperbolically without actually thinking it through. Mm. I don't think he probably would have thought that it was going to spurn, you know, two years worth of rumors. Mm. But I do think you understand the parallel you're creating when you say something like that, when you're media trained like that. Totally. Well, I don't think you just flippantly draw a parallel between another professional athlete who cheated on his wife with 120 women. You don't just do that and not think about the consequences. I really do think that this is something that has been uh, festering in the tennis community for someone to come out on TV and say it so decisively. But it's not even just 120 women. It's the fact that Tiger Woods is one of the most controversial, if not the most controversial sportsman of the last 10, 15 years. Like this is not a reputation you want to align yourself with. I think the thing about rumours is, and one thing that I wanted to touch on, because I know we joked rolling into this, that this wasn't like the most highbrow segment we could ever do. And it's not. But the thing about rumours is I think that people dismiss them too quickly Mm. these days. I think that scepticism of tabloids, which in many cases is fair enough. When you're walking through the supermarket and you see a cover of New Idea that says Beck Hewitt is pregnant with her 130th child, you understand that there's a few lies going on. But scepticism of tabloids has bled into scepticism about the media in general and every rumour ever. Kind of reminds me of the Prince William story that we touched on a couple of months ago when it was rumoured that Prince William had had an affair with a a countai. (laughs) A countai. I'm kidding. That's so going to become a thing though. With a (laughs) countai. So sorry. Niche inside jokes, (laughs) just shameless things. Maybe we'll print countai on the next shameless merch (laughs) with a woman that was friends with Kate Middleton. One thing that I did want to touch on when we're having this conversation, which is always an incredibly unpopular opinion, is often rumours have legs for a reason. When there is smoke, there is fire. Often. I don't say always, but I say often. Mm. That's not to say that this story or this rumor is true in its entirety, that Novak Djokovic is the, the Tiger Woods of tennis, but it is to say it's worth unpacking and it's worth us having a conversation because rumors and blind items like this exist for a reason. And it's really interesting for us to unpack exactly why that is. Yeah. And the timeline of how this has all unfurled, I guess, is really curious as well, because it was only a couple months prior to John McEnroe coming out and saying this. Do you remember that really awkward live stream between Novak and his wife, Jelena, where they accidentally didn't press end on the Facebook Live and they actually bickered and had this back and forth fight that went out to millions and millions of people? 
I do think there's a whole narrative at play here. He's been linked to other women. So there are photos and names that have come out of other women who different sources and different media outlets have linked to Novak Djokovic and actually tracked where these women are when Novak Djokovic is traveling the world for tennis. And there was one woman, I think she was a lawyer not that long ago, who tended to be in every city that Novak Djokovic was in and different publications lined up their timelines in that way. And I think... I mean, we don't see these stories about other players and I think it's worth asking why. Why do we not hear this narrative about Roger Federer? Why do we not hear it so much about Nadal or other major tennis players? We're only really hearing about Novak Djokovic. And when you are a couple and you know this narrative is out there about you and you know the eyes of the world on you, particularly tabloid media, it's curious that she, Jelena, wasn't at the Wimbledon ball and wasn't at his finale because you would know that that would stir a little bit of attention. Oh, after that much time in the public leg, you are so across exactly what's going to create some kind of flurry of news media and flurry of headlines. So they probably would have known that this was going to happen, particularly given the rumours. The media and tabloids are not saintly by any stretch they make a lot of mistakes and I would like to think that we pick them up on that even though we've worked in the industry for a couple of years now but I don't think journalists sit and when I say I don't think I would confidently say journalists do not sit in a room and think what story can we make up today Mm. and I think there's a sense that that does happen that there is a sense that this story could be concocted out of nowhere and I just fundamentally disagree that this could appear out of nowhere. I think the thread as well is always referring to her as his high school sweetheart and talking about how they met years and years ago and this has been a relationship that began in 2005 I think it was That kind of paints a picture like, oh, well, she's been around forever. He might be bored. Yes, it is a boredom thing. It's she yeah. doesn't work anymore. She follows him around because she has to. There's no way you can have a relationship. And she children. Doesn't, and if she doesn't give up anything. Mm. But there is that element of he must be bored. He's got incredible amounts of wealth, incredible amounts of ego as well. Mm. Um, and he could get anything that he wanted. So it's almost like a completely fair and understandable narrative, which is the most frustrating thing of all. Does it matter if he's cheating on her? Do you think it's... Any, do you think it's even relevant to the public? Do we have a right to know or a right to speculate about it on podcasts like this one? Um, I don't think it's our business, no. And so people might think, well, why bother talking about it? Well, I'm, I'm still kind of interested in like the machinations of a rumour and how mm. this stuff actually becomes public for sure. Mm. But I think if we're talking about their right to privacy, then yeah, maybe, maybe we don't need to know this stuff. That said, we always will. When if you're acting like this and you're sort of feeding the fire a tiny bit by doing the things you are, it's always going to get out. Yeah, and media empires are built on humans' innate interest in what other humans are doing and how they're living their lives. And fallible humans too, in people fucking up and having affairs. Like I think the minute you decide to have an affair, you need to acknowledge that if you are well-known and have this much sway publicly, it's probably going to come out. That doesn't make it right, but it probably will. Mm, And I wonder if something did come out in the same way that the Tiger Woods story came out, if it would affect Novak Djokovic. Djokovic's career to the same degree. I think it's probably too late. I think Novak's almost in his peak and is not far off retiring. I think with Tiger, it was the fact that because golf is probably more of a long burn sport, he had so much more left in him. Like, like the cream has risen to the top. Like the cream has risen to the top. Like the cream has risen to the top. If fucking remix that, I'll kill you. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you guys the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, today I've actually put in a sixth story because I want to have a bit of a gloat, but go for it. Okay. So more than welcome. (laughs) Number one, good story to go global as NBA star Ben Simmons jumps on board. That's 
great. Did you see this? No, I didn't. But Ben Simmons obviously has huge sway as an Australian who's dominating the NBA right now. So for him to get behind this is pretty incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. So there's a second Adam Goods documentary coming out in the next few months. It's still being made. Um, It's actually written and produced, I think, by Stan Grant. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so it looks pretty good. It's it's going to act sort of as a companion piece to the Ian Darling documentary that we spoke about last week. And Ben Simmons has signed as an executive producer. I think he wants to throw his support behind something that he had a vested interest in. So Ben Simmons grew up in Dandenong in Melbourne. He's a huge um, AFL supporter as a kid. I think he played AFL too. Mm. And I don't know if I just made that up. Look at me trying to have my sporting knowledge. Regardless, I think he was here as that entire racism scandal sort of broke and wants to clearly throw his support behind it so it does get those international eyeballs that the story probably should. So it will be really interesting to see how this has an effect on the story internationally and whether it does blow up in the way that they intend it to. Well, I hope it does. I am so horrified to read the comment sections on publications like the Herald Sun and read what the average Australian thinks about that documentary and thinks about people like Sam Newman. Yeah. I just... I can't get over how intense this problem is and how widespread it is and how much it has permeated our society as a whole. And I know that we have such a safe space in our own Shameless Podcast Community Facebook group and I know how in progressive publications, news forums and comment sections it feels like quite an inclusive, intelligent space. But as soon as you go outside of that and read Twitter or read the Herald Sun comments or whatever, it is so disheartening because it feels like I'm just banging my head against a wall and we're all doing the same thing and some people will never open their minds to the possibility that they're wrong and that they're doing harmful things and saying harmful things. Well, I think the minute we think that there's nothing that can be done is the minute we lose all hope and then the minute these documentaries aren't made. So it's really important that people continue to put their money and their energy behind things like this. I am really intrigued as to whether this is a story that will capture international attention, like whether it's innately interesting. I think there is this undercurrent internationally that Australia is a little bit racist and people know that and I think that's why it actually might get legs. They don't understand the AFL code as much, but I do think if it's a sporting story, if it's got Ben Simmons on board and there's elements of Australia being racist, particularly in light with our consistent and pretty sad um, problem with asylum seekers and dealing with asylum seekers, I would not be surprised if this captured international attention. Agree. Number two, Lily Reinhardt and Cole Sprouse are still dating maybe you potential fools. That is from Pedestrian. I'm going to be brutally honest here. You sent me an article about Lily Reinhardt and Cole Sprouse and the potential that they have broken up during the week. And I read it and I tried to get into it because you were clearly very into it. I think you've put too many words in my mouth. (laughs) The thing that's interested both of us is that we have not given a fuck about Lily Reinhardt and Cole Sprouse breaking up because we're not Riverdale fans. We're not of that kind of like Nickelodeon-ish era. We don't know who they are. We never understood it. And I read a profile of them in W Magazine, which I found very interesting this week. So what's happened is apparently Lily Reinhardt and Cole Sprouse are like everybody's favorite couple. <laughs> I think he's called Bughead or something. Yeah, bug there's, some, something. there's something Bug. Yeah. I love how we have a pop culture podcast and there are people probably pulling their hair out about this. <laughs> I only remember him from The Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Yeah, what a show. Exactly. And these two are dating because they were on screen lovers and off-screen lovers. I could not think of another word then. The cream rises to the top. <laughs> <laughs> and they, there were reports that they had broken up. 
After the reports of them breaking up had come out, there was a profile of them from W Magazine. And the profile of them from W Magazine was written back in May, Mm. but they had asked to do the interview separately. Yeah, so the photography was all done together as an item. But the the interviews were done separately and that was by their request. So the entire article was talking about them talking about each other as if they were still together. But there were also these undercurrents of have they split already and this is why they're asking to do the interview separately. They're also neither acknowledging whether they're still together or not, but are still posting the W Magazine photo shoots and saying don't believe everything you read. So it's an incredibly confusing story. The only thing I can possibly think of that's, you know, a reasonable explanation is that they actually have broken up. They maybe had some kind of weird contract with W Magazine where they needed to post those photos together. Mm. So they're putting some kind of weird vague caption underneath it. So it's not as obvious or as awkward. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I try to get into this. I feel like I'm maybe three years too old Mm. to get into it. I feel exactly the same. Though I did find the W Magazine profile very interesting as a read, even if you're not into either of them and I knew nothing about them, I would recommend that as a read. Yeah, I did enjoy the read. I just don't care about Sorry if Lily and Cole ever listen to <laughs> yes. if Lily and Cole are I, listening. I just don't like um creepy shows. Riverdale, Stranger Things. <laughs> it's actually a good point. I'm not into I creepy shows. creepy but. shit. What's your third story? Number three, Let's Get Married. Bindi Irwin announces engagement. That is from news.com.au. What in the world? Is she really religious? I don't know. She's She's 21. I'm She's Google been this. with old mate Mr. Irwin now, soon to Mr. be Mr. Irwin. I don't know what his name is, but he's soon to be Mr. It's, Irwin. I'm pretty sure before I look at Google, which is up in front of me, I'm pretty sure it's Chandler Powell. It's so Chandler. He's absolutely Chandler. She's only so she just turned 21. This was on her 21st birthday that they got engaged. Been together six years. So maybe they just thought it was time to. To put a ring on it. Put Michelle. a ring on it. There was a great article on the Batuta Advocate, actually, which was, I think the headline was something like, Bindi Irwin's engagement gives millennials the first taste of what it feels like to be old. Aww. I actually had to Google Bindi Irwin's age when I saw this because I thought, surely not. Maybe her emotional intelligence exceeds that of an average 21-year-old, Absolutely. Though. She's been in the public eye since she was, like, two or teeny tiny <laughs> yeah, yeah. and she's grown up without a dad and has had to do all of that in the public eye you can see her maturity from the age of about eight years old yeah there's always been a weird kind of disdain for Bindi Owen and I think it's because she was this very emotionally mature very confident child very put together yeah as yeah. well she wasn't like a messy uh rat bag she went on to national television from the age of as you said probably about eight and appeared to know exactly what she was doing exactly what she wanted to say and she appeared very media trained which can be a little bit jarring for a child i think that's what it was it felt for some people i reckon a tiny bit disingenuous and a tiny bit performative you actually probably can't be performative or disingenuous as an eight-year-old it's probably just your inherent personality but the weird disdain for bindi owen is strange and i'm not a huge fan of it so congratulations to bindi and chandler powell i couldn't be more stoked for you i really like the ring. Oh, I didn't even look. I don't know what the hell that cut is. I don't know anything about engagement rings. But I was looking at that ring and being like, that is stunning. Yeah, that is a lovely ring. It's Go beautiful. Chandler. I know. Number four, Kate Middleton plastic surgery. Kensington Palace denies royal Botox use. That is from news.com.au. God, they clutch at straws, don't they? Yeah, but this one, did you read any of these reports? Absolutely not. I literally, this is the first time I've read the headline because you put it in. It has a tiny 
shred of truth to it, I reckon. A plastic surgeon from the US put photos side by side of Kate Middleton and basically said that she has definitely had Botox or some kind of rejuvenation work since the birth of her last baby. Don't ask me what that baby's name is. Is that Louis? It's Louis. Louis. Oh, yeah, King Louis. And what do we call him? Master Louis. Can't Master Arch. Oh, no, that's Master Archie. <laughs> that was Master Archie. So he put these photos together and he said, look, I'm a professional in this field and I definitely think she's had Botox and apparently this is where she goes to. So she was then linked to this spa, rejuven- this spa that's only 10 minutes from the Royal Palace. Why is this a story? I genuinely don't know why we're meant to care. See, I, I reckon I care a little bit about Botox. But every woman gets it. And when I say every woman, I don't mean every woman. Like, let's not be hyperbolic. But it's incredibly common, especially for someone in the public eye who has this much scrutiny. I'm not sure why this... I'm genuinely surprised this is a story. Of course she probably gets it. As if you're surprised. They talk about everything to do with the royals. Yeah. Kate could literally sneeze and they would talk about it. No, okay, you're right. I'm not surprised it's a story. I'm surprised that people care or I'm surprised that people would be surprised <laughs> by Kate Middleton having Botox. Very measure of you. Anyway, journalists then called up the day spa Jesus and tried to get information Christ. and said, is Kate Middleton a customer of yours? That's duchess and to you. And the spa, duchess. <laughs> Dutch eye. Dutch eye, Kate Middleton. <laughs> joke's absolutely not funny by the fourth time. <laughs> it's just like nobody finding it funny anymore. This spa responded saying, we can't tell you anything. But the way it was reported was that it was only due to confidentiality agreements with their customers that they couldn't reveal whether or not Kate Middleton was a client. And I think judging by all the reading I did on this, which was probably two articles, let's be real. I think they were trying to tell the reporters that, yes, Kate Middleton has gone there. Because if they had come out and said, no, she's not a customer, they're still breaching confidentiality by even saying no. Yeah, but they want to subtly align themselves with her so that people go to where the Duchess gets Botox. Even if they're getting the call up, they're getting some good publicity. Weird story, Michelle. Weird flex, (laughs) might I say. Number five. That's what the young people say. (laughs) Natalie and Brulee are pregnant with the help of IVF and a sperm donor. That is from the Sydney Morning Herald. I am not torn about this story. I am just happy. That was so lame. It was bad. It wasn't even in writing. That was just off the cuff shooting from the hip. I'm really all for this. It's not like an uprising, but there is a small trend of women in the public eye who have killed it in their careers going out and having babies on their own. Like I know Fifi Box just had her second child. I think that was via IVF. And now Natalie Imbruglia. I just, it fills me with like a little sense of, pride and like independence female independence and strength that these women can kill it not have to have a male partner and then go off and raise their babies proudly well I think for young women there's always we're always told that you need to sort of meet someone by a certain point so you can get engaged by a certain point so you can get married by a certain point so you can have a baby by a certain point but this kind of flips that entire story or that entire rule book to say like have a baby whenever you kind of can and do it by yourself that's not to say it's going to be easy I feel like it'd be really fucking hard but all power to them she's also writing an album at the same time or something signed a new record deal yes so i saw did you ever see um johnny english with natalie and oh god yeah that was a great movie that is an underrated movie johnny english incredibly underrated movie there's this brilliant scene where (laughs) johnny english my younger brother and i watched this movie like 17 times when we were younger this is brilliant scene where Johnny English is sitting in this car and he just like pushes a button and flies through the oh, roof. Oh, great scene. Do you know the one I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. I'm pretty sure they're like in Italy or something yeah. and they're driving around. 
Natalie and Brulee is very attractive as well. She's just gorgeous from every single angle. Yeah, I mean, it should be more about her personality. Oh, sure, Zara, Michelle. I just called her an independent woman. <laughs> Don't come for me with that. Any, um, Fuck you. <laughs> any quiet Johnny English fans out there, come to the Facebook group. I love that you attack the Lion King, but you're willing to stand <laughs> by Johnny English. Johnny English in Home Alone is Bef- where it's at. Before we move on, what are your thoughts on Monsters, Inc.? Monsters, Inc. was amazing. I watched Monsters, Inc. this week. Did you? It's so good. I do have to say, and this is going to win me no friends, but not much (laughs) I say on this podcast does win me any friends at all. I don't like watching Disney movies now. Mm. Do you? No, I love it. I loved them at the time, but I really find it hard to rewatch them as an adult. Like I know when you said you went back and watched Harry Potter, I was just not that into it because, you know, I want to watch. Harry Potter's not a Disney film. Yeah, but same category. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Magic, not oh real. Oh, my God. Anywho, someone messaged me last night and said, uh, The Lion King is on Channel 9. You should watch it. And you said no. I said Nope, absolutely <laughs> not. I added a sixth story to this week's Quick and Dirty before we finish. Lots and lots of people have been linking me to this in my Instagram DMs and then in the Facebook group. It's a story from Punky that says, just hear me out. Stop hating on Kingstons. They're the best in the aren't. It's a sorted packet. Because by sheer coincidence. It is the biggest coincidence of all time. Absolutely. All these different publications and writers have come out with their own food hierarchies, particularly on its biscuit hierarchies. I don't think I had anything to do with this. I know I've been doing food hierarchies on my Instagram story, but I don't think it's related. So on two Friday nights ago, I think you did the biscuit hierarchy. Is that right? Yeah. And the morning after that, Good Food printed in print a hierarchy of Arnott's biscuits, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. So the sheer coincidence of that, and then it kind of exploded after it was done in print. And you were like, what is going on here? What are the the fucking chances (laughs) that they had already put this like down into paper? But it has spurred like an entire... Media story about fucking hierarchies. Yeah. I mean, I'll keep doing my food hierarchies, but now I'm worried everyone's going to think I'm copying everyone else. No, I'm not no. copying everyone else. No, I've been doing this for a month. Steer clear of the biscuits. I think the next one you need to do, actually, I'll feed you some examples. I don't want to ruin the surprise on the podcast. Lots of people have said alcoholic beverages would be a good next one, like cocktails. So like Aperol spritz, I would vodka like a, soda. I would like a cocktail hierarchy. I think I would have espresso martini at the top and nah. then mojito number two no, and then an Aperol like- spritz. Actually, swap my mojito to an Aperol. <laughs> So I don't like espresso martinis. I pretended to like them for so long, but now I just can't. You have so pretended to like them in I my know. company. I know. I just can't do it anymore. You're though. kidding. I don't. I literally will take a few sips and be like, yeah, that's enough. It's too strong. Oh, wow. Yeah, sorry. I love coffee, but there's something about, it must be the liqueur. The, liqueur. <laughs> the, it is God. actually Kahlua. So you've literally just pushed those two words together. There you go. Anywho, <laughs> I have to say... I'm actually not a huge biscuit fan. They're all too dry, especially all of the Arnott's packs. So that's all for me. Happy, quick and dirty. Zara, as you know, my sister is getting married next year and I did not realise how hard it can be to find bridesmaid dresses that suit everybody type. Oh, I bet. You need to get shopping at White Runway, your go-to destination for bridesmaid dresses, bridal gowns too, or formal dresses, or even, to be honest, if you're just attending a wedding or special event and don't know where to find a nice dress, it's like a one-stop shop for all special occasions. So what I didn't realise about White Runway is that it works in two ways. The first is that you can shop their range of over 1,000 dresses online 
plan with a flexible 30-day returns policy. But the second is even cooler. You can book an appointment to visit their Melbourne, Sydney and New York showrooms online via whiterunway.com. The appointments are a one-on-one personalised experience to get you all glam and ready for your next event. I love that because I struggle and I freak out when there's too many options. I need someone to tell me what to wear. We both do. We should definitely get into that though because we need all of the help in the world in this department, I think. Mm -hmm. I also love that White Runway are an all-inclusive boutique stocking from sizes 4 to size 30. And even better, Zara, White Runway will be providing all shameless listeners with 20% off their first purchase on all full price items. You can use the code SHAMELESS or mention this podcast at your White Runway appointment for 20% off. That is massive. Isn't 20% a sizable discount? The coupon code is valid until the 30th of September 2019. So get shopping, lovely people. Thank you so much to White Runway for sponsoring this episode of Shameless. Might be time for us to get shopping. We're going to get married? What am I going to wear to the wedding? (laughs) I'm going to invite myself now. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Claire. Last week, on the same day of MasterChef season 11 finale, it was announced that it would be the judges' last episode with Channel 10. George Calambaris, Matt Preston and Gary Megan were let go by 10, with network bosses explaining the decision came about after lengthy negotiations with the trio had stalled. According to sources, the three men were after a 40% pay rise on top of their rumoured $1 million a season pay packets. Zara, what do you think the move and the change means for Australian reality TV in general? I don't know conclusively, but what has really uh, piqued my interest in the last couple of days or the last week or so when this story was announced was how invested everybody has been. And not because it's some frivolous story about cooking show judges, but because it actually does kind of signal the end of an era. Mm. I think that's what a lot of people are feeling. I mean, there are many, many layers to this, which we will get to. But the first the one I could think of is people are A, very invested in MasterChef and B, this does feel like an end of an era. And I think what I had done over the last 10 years is probably undersold or underestimated how MasterChef was probably the beginning of a golden era in reality TV. Like I don't think I had considered its influence until now. Well, when MasterChef came about, the only reality TV show that had any prominence in Australia was Big Brother and then I guess Big Brother quite quickly declined when MasterChef came onto the scene. Exactly. It was kind of like the first wholesome reality TV show we had and also maybe the last one. Like I don't think that any other reality TV show rivals MasterChef in terms of wholesomeness. Disagree. Lego Masters. Like actually no, Lego Masters (laughs) is the most fucking wholesome thing in the entire world. But that barely counts. Like it's literally people building things. Australian Ninja Warrior. Australian Ninja Warrior is very wholesome, but I would say MasterChef is more wholesome because it's like home cooking. It's domestic. Anyway. (laughs) Yes, anyway. But I think the other thing I didn't really consider is how it did spurn this kind of decade of really strong reality shows. I mean, for Mm. Channel 10, it was so huge for them in a time when they were struggling. It also forced, you know, the copy of My Kitchen Rules and then The Bachelor and stuff came along. Like there's a lot to be said about MasterChef's rise. Absolutely. I think it was cataclysmic in how reality TV is popularized in Australia and how much it pulls an audience in. I do want to ask you something. Do you think the three judges were greedy in asking for this money because I read a story in the Sydney Morning Herald by Wendy Squires that I actually quite disagree with. I read a couple of articles calling them arrogant or telling them to eat humble pie. I actually didn't agree at all because I think even if they were asking for a stupid amount of money though, like even if they were on a million dollars for like three months of work and were asking for a 40% pay rise, I think 
This is lucrative business. TV is lucrative business. Those three judges proved their worth. I think they are more than entitled to ask for what they think they're worth, particularly given what we've been saying about MasterChef's impact and how those three and their chemistry was crucial and critical to that. Also, on the other hand, is the rumors about them actually pitching to other networks and to streaming services. And if there are other deals coming to them saying, this is what we think you're worth, as if you're not going to turn around to your current employer and say, this is what other people are going to pay me, pay up. I don't think that's greedy. I think that's business. That's how the market works. That's your value. I think with the story that Wendy Squires penned, which was the one that said they should eat humble pie, she compared their job to jobs that she's had in the past where she felt like she was indispensable. And I actually really disagree with that. I'll read out one of the quotes that really stood out to me from that piece. Perhaps the judges simply grew too comfortable, some may say arrogant, to see they were not the source of the show's success. But the hard reality was there from the very first season, which also starred a talented journalist called Sarah Wilson, someone whose omission from series two barely caused a blip or boo-hoo. So Wendy went on to say that in the past, she too has overestimated her value to a company. She has asked for a pay rise, been rejected, and then been kind of shown the door. I really don't agree that that is a good comparison because Wendy Squires or any journalist to a publication might be valuable, don't get me wrong, but three faces of a TV show is not just an employee. This is like MasterChef losing its logo, losing its name, losing its reputation. This is like a company being told they can't have that name anymore. They can't have any of their branding around what the company has stood for for the last 11 years. It is not the same to equate it to an employee leaving. You could be the best employee in the world, but you're not the face of a brand. No, totally. And I think that for a lot of people, there can also be a bit of disdain or a bit of resentment that there's that much money in TV if you're very good at it. But at the end of the day, it's what we keep coming back to. If that's what you think you are worth, you are so more than entitled to ask for that. I also very much doubt that those three judges went to Channel 10 and say, if you don't give us this, the show will fall apart. I don't think anyone is confident enough to say that MasterChef will completely fall apart without them. I think people are saying Channel 10 and CBS now that they own Channel 10 are going to have to be very careful and meticulous and thoughtful as to who they put in front of the next season and they're going to have to work really, really, really hard to maintain that audience. But no one's saying that it's going to fall apart without them, especially those three judges. I absolutely think it will. I don't think there is any way MasterChef can be. And I'm sure I might be proven wrong, whatever. This is my opinion. I don't think it can be. I think when you have those three judges who have proven to be so successful and proven that their chemistry is so good that they don't even need a host, they can do all that themselves. I don't think MasterChef can succeed. They can get Curtis Stone in. They can get Maggie Beer in. They can get all the biggest names in Australian television. You cannot concoct chemistry between hosts. Well, the issue that they're going to have, if this happened much earlier, I think they would be fine. The issue they're going to have is that MasterChef was going to become a tired format pretty soon anyway. It was due to expire. And I think that's why it's no surprise that these contract negotiations have stalled so late. There were there were conversations, A, that the men asked for too money and B, that Channel 10 wanted them to sign on for longer than they intended to. So like I said, this was clearly going to expire. And when you put a new format in, when you put three new judges in, you have to account for the fact that people hate change and it's going to take a season or two or three for that loyalty to come back. I don't think MasterChef has the value of that time. I don't think they have the luxury of that time. I think it's so tired now and so old that it will probably just fall apart. I mean, we mentioned Big Brother before. There's an example 
incredible in and of itself. It had run for how many seasons? Probably close to the same amount that MasterChef mm-hmm. had. The minute Gretel Colleen stepped away and Kyle and Jack Yo came in and then even Sonia Kruger came in for a little bit, they just didn't have the luxury of time to build that loyalty back and it just fell apart. No, and think about radio programs. When you get new hosts in, while the old hosts may have been failing in the ratings, it's very, very rare for a new duo to come in and skyrocket. It takes a lot of building up and a lot of change and a lot of discomfort for the audience. I don't think this will work. The one thing that did stick out to me was the timing of this in that George Kalambaris has been all over the media this week because of how disastrously he treated his employees. He underpaid them by almost $8 million, according to the Fair Work Ombudsman. And that is a real PR problem for him, that there are headlines about him asking for $1.4 or whatever million dollars for a few months of work while he's not even paying his own employees penalty rates. David Mills wrote for the Daily Telegraph this week something very interesting. He said the leaks to the media about the contract negotiations appear to be no accident but rather calculated to embarrass the now former judges. The leaks about the fact that these three judges asked for whopping amounts of money came very quickly. And there was no ambiguity about these figures or Mm. this story. It was very much a calculated leak that was quite decisive in its numbers. Mm. And that did feel very, very deliberate to me. It's almost like they want to paint these men to be as unlikable as they possibly can by looking very grabby and looking very greedy, maybe because they want to find hosts that are likable by comparison. Like we said, I don't know if it can work. I'm not 100% on the train that it can't, but it will be hard. The thing about George Columbaris, Mish, is that because he was found and admitted to stealing from his employees over nearly $8 million, like we said, over the course of a few years, is I'm wondering whether it will affect his reputation as much as we think it will. I would love to say that it will take a very long time for him to build trust back with an audience. But the reality is, I think with with Gary Mayen and Matt Preston by his side, I think he'll be fine. If they are pitching to streaming services, if they are pitching to other networks, I think they'll probably get a deal and this will barely be a blip. I agree. I think the two other men being on either side of him and flanking him really cushions his PR nightmare from getting too bad to the point where he won't be able to return. For those who did miss it, four-year investigation by the Fair Work Ombudsman did find that he failed to pay minimum award rates, penalty rates, casual loadings, overtime rates, and split shift allowances and annual leave loadings to his employees. So it is not a very pretty picture. When you read into what this company did to, I think it was over 500 employees at the end of the day, it's ugly. It's It's, really ugly. And it's not just this example that's ugly. It's been ugly for a very long time. And this is an attitude that he has had for a very long time. He cannot come out at the 11th hour now and say, oh my goodness, it was just process. Oh my goodness, it was just a lack of attention to detail. This attitude he's carried through for a long time. In 2012, he said that paying staff weekend and public holiday penalty rates was uneconomical. And it's not like they've had to go to uni for 15 years, he said. So there's classist element to here and a real lack of care for his own employees. Absolutely. of that said, like we keep coming back to, I would not be surprised if they pitch some mammoth series to a streaming giant and manage to get a huge pay packet because people want to hear from these three men. They like seeing them work together. And Gary Meehan hinted that on Instagram. He said, there isn't a world where we don't want to work together and keep ourselves together. Mm. They will. They have huge audience in India apparently too. And, and second to that, the series may even be based there. Look at me just pulling all these rumors wow. out. Yeah, look, I think... George Calambaris is very lucky in this scenario. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago that we had headlines about his 
neighbours complaining about the fact that he built an at-home gym in the backyard of his mansion. What about when he punched someone? Yeah. Like he's had a string of bad stories around him and he's fine. He's totally fine because he's flanked by these two very likeable men. Interesting. George, you are a lucky, lucky man. Isn't he a lucky man? I guess all we can say is watch this space for two things. First, to see where these three men go and second, to see who Channel 10 actually appoints as their new judges and whether it's actually successful. It won't work. I'm saying it right now. I said it like I, I'm as confident about this call as I was when I said Ali Ochen's season of The Bachelorette would be the worst rating in season history. I have history. to say, though, this, these aren't the most like mind-blowingly huge, outrageous calls you've Which ever made. Which is why I'm so confident yeah, about I know. Them. I actually do agree with you. I don't think it'll work, but I don't want to write them off either. Thank you, next bitch. This week, it felt like the Me Too movement had a quick and fiery resurgence thanks to Diet Prada and a couple of vocal and passionate fashion models. On Monday, a model by the name of Sunea Nash posted a series of direct messages between herself and photographer Marcus Hyde on her Instagram stories, detailing how Hyde demanded naked photos of her before doing a shoot. Her claims were then reposted by Diet Prada, which spurred quite the story. Dozens of stories about Hyde surfaced and dozens more about another photographer, Timor Emek, came to the surface too. Mish, did you watch this drama unfold or have you sort of looked back and tried to piece it all together? I was more of the latter. I saw in our Facebook group how much our listeners deeply care about this story and deeply care about what these photographers did to women. I think I didn't take an interest so much because it seems so familiar and so obvious like I think so many men in this industry do this this is revealed so often in the me too movement that photographers including photographers like Terry Richardson were disgraceful in their treatment of women I really wasn't surprised that male photographers are still doing this to women and telling women that if they don't send through nude photographs then they'll have to pay two thousand dollars for a photo there's no element of surprise about a story like this and when there's no element of surprise there's no element of feeling shocked like I think we spoke about this when there were allegations of against Donald Trump a couple of weeks ago, when we were thinking, like, how do you get people to care when you can't shock them into action? Just to give a bit of context to this story. So the like we said, the claims against Marcus Hyde began on Monday when Sanaya Nash posted her series of direct messages with him on her Instagram stories. And she doesn't have a massive, massive following and didn't expect this to explode in the way that it did but I guess you kind of never do and you can't sort of foresee how these things are going to happen but Diet Prada picked it up almost straight away and posted it and then it blew up Nash got more than 50 direct messages in the space of like 24 hours from people with similar stories and Diet Prada told Dazed we knew it was going to get a lot of people talking as Marcus has a close connection to the Kardashian family but we didn't expect that it would enable so many more women to come out with their own stories about him we started getting more messages about him then the stories turned darker and darker so it wasn't just him allegations of him asking for nude photos there were allegations of sexual assault and rape in there too some really really harrowing stuff and for me, it's it's so speaks to like the democratization of, of social media and how newspapers and magazines don't tend to play this role anymore in the fashion industry. And I, I'm interested in your thoughts as to why. It's like it really puts Diet Prada in this important spotlight where 
are they doing crucial work at a time where magazines and newspapers can't tell these stories or aren't telling these stories? Well, I would argue that magazines and newspapers have never properly told these stories. I was looking back at this because the entire thing really reminded me, as I said before, of the Terry Richardson example. Completely. And the Terry Richardson rumours were going around for a decade before anything happened. Exactly right. And not just from small-scale models either. Coco Rocha came out against him in 2010 and said she would never work with him again. He had Liskula Cohen account that he was a monster who brought her so much unhappiness to her life. He also had a searing piece written about him by Jamie Peck in The Guardian. She said that he assaulted her basically in as many words and gave her post-traumatic stress disorder. Women were coming out against Terry Richardson for so long and it wasn't until 2017 in the Me Too movement that Condé Nast decided they would never post with him again. I think the difference is now that with brands like Diet Prada emerging on Instagram and with that democratization that you spoke about it's not just a magazine here and a magazine there calling out a company or calling out a person it is now floods of people going into their inboxes going into their comment section making it such a huge unified movement that they can't ignore it anymore and I don't think we've ever had that in the past and I don't think someone like Terry Richardson would ever be allowed to get away with what he did for so long because of social media now. No, I agree with you. I think when I said at the start of today's episode, there still is a massive distrust for the media and there probably always will be. It means that journalists will probably always struggle to get people on the record about stories like this. It will be hard for journalists to go up to models that they don't know and say, hey, I feel like you've got a story about this. Talk to me. The difference with Diet Prada is I feel like people and young models in particular in this case feel safe and comfortable with Diet Prada. I feel like there's like an implicit trust there and so they share their stories because of it in a world where it would be impossible to get women to talk on the record about this diet prada are able to do it and it's an amazing indictment on their power and the trust that they have built with young women i think it's also the visual aspect of this that maybe 10 years ago when other models heard from publications oh well we're speaking to lots of people we've reached out to lots of sources see them see it yeah whereas diet prada sharing anonymously the screenshots of different chat threads with these photographers models have that trust already they can see that other women are coming forward they can see that everyone is unified in this and when everyone is using their voices in unison they cannot be drowned out people cannot be drowned out when they band together like this because they become stronger than the brands that they're threatening totally it's like the proof is there and therefore people are going to be more comfortable and confident in speaking do you think there's much in the line of thought and i don't know if you read vanessa friedman's piece in the new york times this week vanessa friedman is new york times fashion correspondent columnist I don't know what her official title is, but she is one of my favorite writers for them. And she, she, there was a line of thought in her piece where it was this idea that the fashion industry has been slow to pick up on these kinds of stories because by definition, it is a surface-based industry that is mm. focused entirely on aesthetic. And that's not underselling the power of fashion. It's just the brutal reality. Do you think there's something to say about that? Yeah, probably. I think the little men in fashion have always acquiesced because they had no other option. The big players didn't want to do anything about it. And it wasn't until the little men all kind of joined hands and realized they were all on the same page that they could do anything. They were powerless until they were given a platform via social media, if that makes sense. No, totally. And there also has to be something in the idea that 
female models are never been taken seriously where they're just considered a mannequin of sorts like Mm. where they're just considered for their aesthetic and nothing underneath that and that includes not just their brain but their feelings too surely absolutely one of the arguments in Vanessa Friedman's piece that really grabbed my attention was around what Instagram's responsibility is here Mm. and one of her quotes was amid all the conversations around privacy and the dangers of data use less attention has been paid to the way social media can be used by predators and I found it fascinating that when Nash posted those first screenshots, Instagram actually removed them. Instagram said that when people put up screenshots of personal communication, they flag it as potential bullying and harassment. But instead of Instagram looking at those screenshots or looking in the chat where it actually took place and seeing that that was sexual harassment, they chose to remove hers as a sign of bullying instead. I think that is a real indictment on Instagram that they're not protecting women. They're instead protecting the privacy of men who are threatening to assault them completely that was that was really interesting to me too when I did read that those Instagram stories were taken down before the actual exchange was looked into it does speak to though how much easier it is for Instagram to deal with harassment and bullying or not even harassment just bullying but not abuse they seem to be so willing to be hardline on bullying and granted it's a good thing to be hardline on but not abuse and I don't know if it's just because bullying for them is easier to spot or easier to understand but all I know is like they they have money they have resources and they certainly have brains in Silicon Valley to sort it out I'm confused as to why they're not. Mm. One thing I did want to end on um, was the fact that at the end of February, I think it was last year, there was a model meme account by the name of Shit Model Management who published a blacklist with over 500 photographers, stylists, designers, and agents who have been accused of inappropriate behavior in the industry. It was taken down because the person who created it got death threats. And it was posted back up this week in the wake of these allegations coming to light. And when it was posted back up, both of these photographers that Diet Prada um, shone a light on were included and each had an asterisk next to their name, which meant that more than three women had come forward with stories about them. Wow. I feel so conflicted about things like this because I know that lists like this are bottom line not helpful. But then you see stuff like that and it's like, well, the warning signs were there. Everyone knew. No one had the power to talk about it. Mm. It reminds me of that shitty media men list that went around during the Me Too movement, which uh, a journalist by the name of Moira Donegan created, where she just got people to add to a Google Doc of names. And it is not a completely helpful way to go about things, but... It's not all bad, surely. It's probably not robust enough. That's the only it's thing. Totally it's very, not it's very malleable to misinformation, misinformation and, and miscommunication, and probably embellishments, maybe completely. But then I think if I saw a list like that and I was going to work with either of those photographers and I saw an asterisk there, which meant three separate women had complained, I probably would avoid working with them. Mm. And I think you would too. Yeah, absolutely. So it could save a lot of women from a lot of heartache. But that said, it's it doesn't mean it's the right way to go about it. It's just hard that it's not. Do you know what I mean? Totally. It's hard that this is not the solution because it feels like an easy one but it's absolutely not (laughs) hey i do think that's all we've got time for today you are madly checking the time on that zoom i think we've gone over again but that's okay i think that's just the new pattern of the podcast who's to say we go over we create the show surely we can just recreate how long it takes i always just think when we created it we're like 45 minutes tops i remember those times i used to say like we are never going over an hour (laughs) there's nothing more self-indulgent than podcasts that go over an hour (laughs) at least we're not joe rogan who does three hours a week that's so true you guys are so lucky that we only give you one Oh, God. Thank you guys for listening. I can't wait.
wait for our meme battle, Zara. I'm so excited. Like I said, if I guilt trip you, keep liking. No, 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 it's no, no, only no, no, gonna no, no, last no. a week. It's only gonna last a week. Please don't let that. You realize joke I can tire. just frame you and be like, please like this, keep the meme alive. People and will no be able will to t- not so because I wouldn't. I wouldn't phrase it like that. People can tell mm, okay. the difference in our tone. I think I hundred okay. percent think people can tell. Anyway, thank you so much once again for listening. If you got to the end of the show, well done. We are on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community. We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Are we anywhere else? Is there anything left to say? We have a newsletter. Find it. We actually it's a treasure do hunt. have a newsletter <laughs> and people do think it's a treasure hunt. There is, if you actually go into our Facebook page, there is an announcement where I put a link in to sign up. I might actually bump that to the top of the page because we get questions all the time. Um, I'll see you on Instagram. Get your memes ready. I'll see you on Instagram and probably in 10 minutes when we keep working together. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.